the parasites are everywhere in, in nature. I was reading that there, there may be up to 50% of all the biomass on Earth is, is uh, represented by parasites, even though you know, they're so tiny. But in um, just the sheer number of them, you know, hmm. um, it's quite incredible. And then in that book that we're reading, uh, Parasite Rex, I think we highly recommend that book. Yep. It took some scientists, they, they modeled different ecosystems. Um, and of course, uh, these were sort of marine systems. And uh, when they added up all the crustaceans and the wildlife birds and, um, and uh, all the fauna and everything living in these um, mollusks and these uh, ecosystems, parasites, the parasites in there, even though you can't see them because they're, you know, almost microscopic, um, they weighed, they, they contributed more than half of the biomass. So, whoa. Yeah. Yeah. They're freaky. There's so many freaky parasites and, and, um, and Can a we, lot of them we don't know about, but, some references back to that in our favorite unit of measurement, uh, the pyramid. How many pyramids yeah. that would be? <laughs> <laughs> well, there right. is a fascinating story about pyramids now that you oh, yeah? brought it up. Yeah, <laughs> turns out that they were plagued by parasites, the Egyptian labors, and and they've been able to discover because they've, you know, every archaeologist has been to the uh, Great Pyramid of Giza and they've been digging there for you know since Moses came off the mountain, mm -hmm. um, trying to figure out how the hell they built the pyramids. Well, and, and no one really knows, uh, you know, and aliens are still a candidate, you know, maybe a leading <laughs> candidate. But yeah. if it's down to humans, they definitely, one thing we do know is they needed, you know, thousands, tens of thousands of slaves. So when they're digging, they've been able to find, um, you know, parasites, um, the remnants of parasites and identify them, and um, and so one of the great problems that they that they and then in the scrolls, the papyrus scrolls or whatever they can figure out that they suffered terribly from from anemia and um, lethargy, um, <laughs> uh, the slaves. So they turned over, you know, huge numbers. Well, also they're lugging around, you know. <laughs> blocks of rock that weighed like 40 50 ton each yeah. so that could also explain why they're a little bit tired <laughs> yeah. if they are plagued with parasites while accomplishing that task so it just took that many more people yeah. to do it or it's that more impressive or it's yeah yeah they had both. to keep bringing in fresh slaves yeah um but anyway this is anyway it's just one of the things i read that that ties in neatly with pyramids because <laughs> <laughs> what was it last episode there is that was it the Gila cells yeah that we referenced something yeah, about Henrietta Lacks uh, the great pyramids uh, yeah the, I think we decided the, sh the number of Gila cells that they've grown from her from her first cells they extracted represent something like five or six great pyramids so reason to believe in, parasites in weight even more yeah 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 so hmm. But anyway, parasites—they're—they're they're, you know everyone knows something about them, but and they're and they and they generally conjure up something pretty horrific, right? Big old mm -hmm. tapeworm. Some mm -hmm. tapeworms in, living inside pe people get up to you know forty foot long. Yeah, I read even sixty, like crazy. That's you know twelve, thirteen meters, fifteen meters long. Yeah, living so the ghastly, you know, and then hookworms and whipworms and pinworms and. 
and um, flukes, blood flukes, and, liver, and flukes. liver flukes, and lung flukes. You know, they're like leeches living in your vascular system. I mean, yeah, it's like Samwise from Lord of the Rings when he's talking about all the different types of potatoes. <laughs> Boil them, mash them, stick them in a stew. <laughs> all these different types of flukes. <laughs> right. <laughs> and worms right. and things that are in you. So the, I the can 60 remember. foot worm, though, I, I, that one's interesting because it, it's in your intestine, right? Isn't yeah, that likely where it Correct. Lives? But it just is free, kind of flowing in there. It, mm-hmm. it swims up to the front where the digestive comes in, and it takes the whole path of the di- of the intestine to absorb through its skin. And then, based on where the contractions are in the peristalsis and the movements of the digestive, it knows that it's about to be excreted. So then, it swims back up to the yeah. top and then does it again and again and just keeps growing and growing. Yeah, it's really incredible they they also the tapeworm divested itself of every organ like it doesn't have a heart doesn't have lungs it doesn't have a digestive system it it got rid of all of that in the name of like just being supremely uh efficient so that it and it i've i read that it has like um an inverted um gastro intestinal tract so its whole outer surface is one digestive um, skin if you will all the villi coming off of it so it's like the the diagrams of a small intestine have just finger like projections like hairs coming Mm -hmm. off of them yeah that's it you flip that inside out that's what they say it is it it just uh, lives its life or that stage of its life in the in the uh, intestine, we're surrounded by liquid food, and it just absorbs it, you know, and and grows, and and then sheds off uh, p- pieces of it that you that you crap out, you yeah. know, and then and then um, another organism, you know, will will eat those um, or could be contaminated with the feces onto food or whatever and then cycle back into a new person mm-hmm. you know these are tapeworms that are specific to people yeah and then start the life over again you know so that's the so I, but anyway before we get further into that because I, I have a lot more to say about tapeworms but um when we were in new zealand last time we were fishing you know with with robbie uncle robbie out mm-hmm. on uh fovo Strait, and we we're fishing for cod and um and some of the times when we pulled them up, remember, those red cod in particular were wormy. You'd, you'd have them on the end of the hook dangling, and, you know, they're three, four pounds. And then the worms would be would be uh, leaking out of their anus, you know, these long, milky, thread, silky worms. You know, so they're parasites. They're loaded with them. Mm-hmm. And then even worse, they had, some of them had, when they dropped them on the deck of the boat, um, they coughed up uh, a bug out of their mouth, and that's um, as far as I could tell, that's a par- that's a parasite of the fish's mouth, which eats the fish's tongue. <laughs> so it par- parasitizes their mouth, it eats their tongue, and then it becomes the fish's tongue. You know, sharing the food. The food. The fish does all the hunting, eating. You know, catching prey, eating food. And this little bug, they call it a louse, lives in its mouth. It looks like a. It's not so little. Looks like a freaking alien. You know, it's like the size of your 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 finger. Let's say your pointer finger, that last knuckle towards your nail. Um, that's about the size of it, about, you know, three quarters of an inch long. And it looked like an alien, you know, like a cockroach. (laughs) 
and it lives in the bloody fish's mouth the whole time and ate its tongue and set up set up shop in there and that's what happened to Jack because <laughs> Jack was with us and, and Jack got one of those in his mouth and it ate his tongue and that's why he can't talk I can, hey Jack I, hey. he's correct uh, I can't talk so this is a hilarious attempt to do a podcast um this is my actual voice for the time being. It's not because I got a uh, parasite on the tongue, but I... But you did. I, I did actually... Get it out. ...be a, uh, kind of a better story. Now, if you're wondering, um, I'm not choosing to talk like this, um, so I've been a little bit quiet. I, uh, a month ago now, have had a, a goofy um, basketball incident where I uh, got hit in the chin, essentially, and um, for lack of full understanding, my voice has been gone. So we're working on getting it back, but um, for now I'm gonna sit back here and whisper. Um, sound like freaking NBA, N- NPR over here, which is the last oh, thing I want to sound like. We're just happy to have you. But it's functional, it works. Yeah, you wanted get, to get that out there, Bill. It isn't a parasite on your tongue. No, yeah, that's the exactly. good news. Bad news is you sound like shit. But the good news is you've still got your tongue yeah. for now. But for those that are listening, they. They should Google the um, fish sure. louse, right? What's it called? Yeah, the, that where it takes over the tongue. Yeah, the louse. L O U S E. Yeah, eat the, eats the fish's tongue and sits up home like, in yeah. there. You go. Imagine if you catch, for instance, we were we're landlocked, so we fish freshwater, but we we fish for a lot of bass, and they're the largemouth bass. And you you know when you get one, and you take it off the hook, you've got them by the. You put your your thumb on its bottom yeah. lip and you're holding them like that. <laughs> you look down in there to get your hook, and there might be two eyes inside the mouth looking back at you. Yeah, that could be the parasite. Really, resem- look at. resembles like a cockroach. It's horrendous. Yeah, Why put, we- put you off eating fish and sushi. Yeah, when you see the worms streaming out of them, that is mm-hmm. a problem. You know, eating sushi. A lot of people, you know, with the fad around the world of eating raw fish. A lot of people have been parasitized, made sick by eating. I think that's um, why a lot of it has to be frozen first here in the States, at least. Does it? Yeah. Sushi grade, but fish but, has to be frozen. Uh, yeah. Well, there you go. But you remember with Robbie? What? There's something with the cod. Yeah. Like we threw back all the, the red, red, red cod. cod. Yeah. Is it because of that? Is it because they had the worms squeezing out their yeah, penis? Very wormy in their meat and their intestines. Okay. For me, it was. <laughs> you were I was personally pretty happy to see him go back in the water. Yeah. But the blue god, they obviously didn't have that. Well, no, they didn't. But that doesn't mean they're free of them. Um, yeah. But, but certainly we never... Maybe they're more resistant to it. That's the thing, you know, parasites are... Um, well, we should talk about what the hell are parasites and we get that a little bit defined and why we're interested in talking about them today. But... You know, by definition, a parasite should be something that um, um, causes harm to its host, yeah, to a, like a victim, yeah, by strict strict definition. But as we've learned, uh, you know, because uh, you know, as the biology and uh, keeps evolving, the knowledge we find out that it's not strictly true. You know, we used to always think of parasites being harmful. And they are for sure. Like there's a lot of misery from them. We'll talk about, but um, but there are there is a positive role to parasites too, which is non-obvious initially. Um, and so it's not always like it's not always like completely harmful. And um, it's really become a fascinating um, area of science, you know. 
Um, but and so another, you know, you could consider viruses being parasites as well, because as we talked about that in our podcast, you know, viruses are obligate parasitical organisms, meaning they can't live without living in you, you know, or another in a host cell, and they hijack your cellular um, machinery and and they replicate and and that's a virus but for today's podcast we're going to exclude viruses you know from parasites we're mm-hmm. i think and bacteria also you know certainly the as we talked about in our other podcast with about antibiotics and bacteria and and the you know the ultimate um parasitical um bacteria is is you know set up shop in um, mitochondria mm-hmm. our cellular energy a nuclear energy plant inside our cells, <laughs> you know, is a is a parasitical bacteria that we inherited, you know, whatever a million years ago. So, but for today, and they colonize our gut, and we've talked about that and our microbiome. But I think we we'll leave out bacteria, and we leave out viruses. And when we talk about parasites today, we want to talk about these other organisms that are actually bigger, more like animals, you know, small mm-hmm. animals that are living in us or on us. And mm-hmm. we call in us being endoparasitical and on living on our skin like ticks and mites and lice and, and, um, and mites, uh, they would be called ecto, ectoparasites. So inside yeah. and outside, and we'll, we talk about these today, um, I think for the sake of getting it sort of narrowed down, even though it's still a huge area. I think that's a, a good segue into it because I, I imagine everyone, like you mentioned before, has some understanding of what a parasite is and what comes to mind for that. And the exo ones probably are the, the first, like thinking of a, a tick, for instance, and mm-hmm. um, that may be actually a good one to explain, you know, the, the Texas fever like we've talked about in, in maybe previous episodes as the first sort of understanding of what a parasite's role is in in nature and how they can transfer disease between two different hosts and um, or two different yeah two different animals basically, but that comes to mind to me when I think of a parasite at least prior to researching would be kind of I guess the exo ones, but we also do hear about worms and we everyone that has a dog you know you give them heartworm um, medicine or different uh, anti parasitical meds because they are you know they're just Something everyone has probably some familiarity with, but we live with them. Everyone's living with them, and um, yeah, I, yeah. And then in agriculture, we're very concerned with parasites mm-hmm. um, because they, are, you know, they're a drain on the efficiency of the animal. Mm-hmm. So commonly in agriculture, we're worming. You know, we worm. We call deworm, and a lot most children in the world have to be dewormed. You know, they're very vulnerable to parasites in their first months of life. Um, Hmm. But uh, we deworm all our animals, whether it's chickens, you know, or all the way through to cattle. Um, And routinely so because they, you know, because they're um, sucking and diverting a lot of nutrients Mm-hmm. Um, from from our feeding our animals and converting that to milk and meat and wool and and um, so we we have to keep them under control and then we also ha- we also pay a lot of attention in agriculture to the ecto the the ones on the surface lice you know whether that's in poultry mm-hmm. or whether it's in sheep or cattle um, and ticks 
you know, are really a big problem and carry disease and also suck a lot of blood, you know, so they can cause anemia in the extreme. Um, So they would be an example of, of two that we, two on the surface, Lysentix, and inside we're more concerned with, um, we're more concerned with parasites that are worms, mm-hmm. round worms, flat worms, um, nematodes and helminths, they call them. And we're also very concerned with flukes, Yeah, these type of leeches that live in your um, inside our animals, your cattle or sheep, and um, affect the liver and the organs. And and so we pay in animal agriculture. That's why we thought we'd talk about it today. Well, the strategies for taking care of them is, is, you know, we've had to invent, thank God, we're, you know, human ingenuity, we're able to invent chemical compounds to kill these, you know, parasites. And... Um, but with that, we're still nowhere near, no. like, have a great understanding of them or a handle on them. Like, it's still heavily being researched and looked into. I mean, I just saw earlier this week the, I have it pulled up here, but there's some funding to a company. The USDA just funded a, a company in South Dakota that's, uh, I think it's the, yeah, the Asian longhorn tick is a disease-spreading mm-hmm. um, tick in livestock. And that, just as of this week, there was a USDA grant that went towards a company that looks like they're hopefully they're wanting to you know um, develop a, a vaccine to take care of that specific parasite um, so I think yeah. it's just an example of that one huh. just came up this week of something along the lines that we're talking about so it's by no means answered or a problem of the past it still is oh no you know it's, it's ongoing and it probably sure. always maybe how, always will be how prevalent is it like in every use cattle for example does every cow have a parasite in one way or another yeah mm-hmm. or to make it even more personal do do we as people yeah. people do like, like like the average person you us three sitting here we probably have yeah parasites it's well three of us we might be lucky because we hate cats <laughs> but anyone out, anyone out there who likes cats they probably got they probably got toxoplasma in their in their brains you know <laughs> Boom roasted. It's really, it's true. It's like 40% of the world's population is infected with toxoplasma. T. Gandhi. Is that the um, yeah. theory behind like the crazy cat people? Yeah. 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 So there's actually some science to back up the... Very much so. It's oh. solid. <laughs> Rock solid. Moving on. No time to question We it. could explain that one though. That yeah, is a I very mean, interesting concept there. There's so much. You've opened up a can of worms, Jack. Jack doesn't say yeah, much, but he really worms. does yeah. ask good questions. Can of tapeworms. <laughs> can of tapeworms. <laughs> didn't you write a um, university paper on, in a dietary class called yeah. Get a Tapeworm Up Ya? <laughs> yeah. That was your strategy for weight loss. I was ahead of my time. Because people, people now are infecting themselves as some sort of uh, therapy. With helmets or putting, they're infecting, drinking a can or a cup full of worms, larvae. Who? People are around the world. No. You can Google it. It's ins- it's just crazy. But it, the reason they're doing it is for irritable bowel syndrome and autoimmune disease. They, oh, sure. It's like crazy. But they, can you imagine drinking a whole cup or half a cup full of, of intestinal worms <laughs> to colonize your gut? 
And on the basis that it, it like, may work or it I does would, work. I'll give me half a cup of ivermectin. I'll drink that. <laughs> yeah. Worms and inflammatory bowel there you disease. Go. So we could talk about that. That but that's one of their fascinating where the hell were we? We were talking about the, so much. The cat ladies. Oh yeah. So how many people have got it? Well, the this is the fascinating thing. They call it they call it like the uh pharaoh um pharaoh phenomenon or pharaoh comp uh phenomenon and the and the reason they it's from that is it means that um some of these uh, parasite um eggs can persist in the environment for a long time mm-hmm. like years and years and years they're they're like uh, encased protectively mm-hmm. and um so they you know it's not like bacteria might die in minutes if they're away from a food source but parasites can persist in the egg form and so that jack that's why you know people they're in the soil a lot and so that's why i mentioned babies before as soon as they get in contact with soil you know they, they'll have or grass or environment they'll pick up um larvae or eggs and they'll you know they'll end up with worms in a matter of three weeks or so like pups, the last time we had a every litter of pups, you know, if they get exposed to the um, um, outside, their even in their kennel, just the environment, mm-hmm. they're just fully loaded with round worms. Mm-hmm. And the first time you worm them, you know, is like at five, six weeks of age, and they'll and the, then it's just horrendous to look at. But they'll, you know, out'll come just a whole ball of yarn of like worms out of these little pups <laughs> same with lambs everything they get because they're so vulnerable their immune systems so this is the parasites you know best chance they ever yeah. get is to infect a young young um you know uh, neonate mm-hmm. as an example and colonize them and you know that's their whole hmm. well i guess that's their whole mission in life right i was so gonna ask what is their purpose is it just that self-preservation mm-hmm. is there any bigger goals and ambitions <laughs> no according to darwin everything's just perpetuation of your genes you know richard dawkins again the selfish gene that's all they're trying to do is propagate forever mm-hmm. but they there's a lot of theories i guess with the the role that parasites play um they yeah probably self-serving but the role like if you on one hand, it seems like it'd be nice to eradicate all parasites from everything. You know, just get rid of them. They seem bad. But there's a lot of um, evidence to suggest they, you know, play a pretty critical role in maintaining healthy ecosystems or population control yeah. and keep making sure things don't get out of out of whack, more or less. Hmm. So they, the weak animals maybe are more susceptible to that and it keeps populations in check and they have their own natural life cycles that, go in waves kind of they you know when they they rise up they'll do more damage to a herd or something like that and the herd will fall off and then they're they will naturally decline too and so they kind of it it's seems to be quite complex how to actually describe it but it's um they have a pretty critical role in just maintaining i guess or balancing Mm -hmm. um, ecosystems Mm -hmm. that's not their objective but that is a role that they do play across when you look at how a lot of different things interact i guess what about the um, parasites? I don't know the exact um, example, but there's one doesn't infect the host and drowns them. What, do you know what <laughs> yeah. I'm talking about? The ones that makes uh, the insects suicidal? Yeah, that. Yeah. 
It comes oh. from a snail, I think, right? And, and then it. Uh, but for an it, example, there, what's is that still just perpetuating your DNA? It, yep, because it would need its um, its sexual partner or whatever would be maybe water in the water, and the eggs would need to, you know, pass along into the host. So that's the role of the, the parasites. They rely on other species to to handle their whole life cycle. So. I can't remember how this one exact works, but let's say they're start in the water. It goes into a host and it matures through multiple generations there. And then when it's ready to come back and pass along its DNA and meet up with a, its partner and um, propagate genes and pass those along, it needs to get back to where the other part of the you know cycle is, and that is in the water. So it can you know hijack the neurosystem of uh, of it. I don't even know, is it a praying mantis? I think was one yeah, example, right? Grasshopper can, here. Or the grasshopper, yeah. Gets them to, you know, it, it becomes who's leading who. The The parasite is leading the, the grasshopper. So the grasshopper is infected with this parasite. You think the grasshopper is in charge. And there's a number of these examples I'm sure we're going to talk through. Um, the cat and the rat one is probably <laughs> a good one to maybe explain next. But this leads to the the grasshopper jumping into the water to its certain death so that it's parasites inside can continue on their um their life cycle crazy that's something straight out of a a horror film if you scale that up to the you know human level wow they call it like a a zombie effect and Mm -hmm. a lot of parasites can have make their host a zombie take control of them and back to those cats and this toxoplasma we mentioned and that is a fascinating one, Jack, and because, you know, like I said, 40% of people have it, but we're not, we're not the intended host for it. We're like an inadvertent host um, just because of our contact with cats. Mm-hmm. Um, the cat is the intended host. So when, when we get this T. Gandhi or toxoplasma in us, it, it travels to our brain and then it's and it sort of insists in our brain goes to sleep there and really never awakens i mean very rarely so people are, are living with it without knowing it <clears throat> without any harm from it um in principle mm-hmm. but um the rem- a couple of things we can come back to the effect on people but the main effect is what's so fascinating is that you know um mice are, are clearly scared of cats you know um, and um, hence Tom and Jerry, you know, the cartoon. Mm-hmm. Mites, mice and rats. And um, and even you can introduce a kitten to, um, I mean, a, a kit, a pup, a mouse pup to cat urine. No cat. And the pup, the, ma- the mouse pup will be deathly afraid of it, you know, and try to get away from it. So they're programmed instinctively to be scared of lions and cats. Mm-hmm. But this parasite wants to get into... Um, cats. That's its goal for where it'll reproduce and it needs to be in there. And so it infects the mice and then it then the it, eggs are passed in the cat's feces. That's right. So a mice comes along, eats, eats those the, eggs yep. and then it relies on that as its host now for however long, right? Yeah, but it needs to get back in the cat again. So yep. that's the thing about these parasites. They have rather than viruses and bacteria they often have one or more intermediate hosts, yeah. so they they move between species. And each time they change species, um, they move between the. We talked about a snail and a grasshopper. We've talked about you know uh, humans and 
and cat and and now we're going to talk about mice and cats and we've talked about you know flukes and cattle and okay so they one of the problems with their immune system is you to kill these damn parasites they keep the shape shifters they change the the shape of their organ organism they go from an egg to a larvae to a worm mm-hmm. to a um you know to a, a small animal um and so each time they change drastically it's like you know they go behind the curtain and out they come you know with a hat and a cape and then they go behind the curtain they come out on a freaking bicycle you know yeah. it's like they're unbelievable well your immune system has a terrible time trying to deal with this yeah you know yeah. they're not one thing little bastards <laughs> so we're back to the freaking mice the mice are now infected by this toxoplasma. So the to- turns out toxoplasma, this parasite, is actually running the show. It hijacks the mouse's neurochemistry and neurobiology, and it makes the mouse um, seek out cat cats, like the smell of cats. So if it can get, if, a, if one of these infected mice can find a, a cat, it'll go to, it'll make the parasite toxoplasma makes the mouse go to the cat so the cat can eat it and then the so that the the toxoplasma you know gets to where it wants to be in the cat yeah well i mean how crazy is that and at least it yeah it makes them less it makes them more bold too their behavior is just more like they just well obviously if they're careless yeah bold careless mm. and carefree and you know ambivalent to danger and so it's on its way to, you know, mingle with a cat, which means it's certainly going to, to die. But um, you mentioned that a third or, a, you know, 40% of the world has this parasite. And there's some yeah. interesting data that show that it affects males and females a little bit differently. But in people, people, you mean? Yeah, in people now. Uh-huh. Sorry. Yeah. So, um, but I think it, I saw a stat of people that are infected with toxoplasmosis are 2.6 to three times more likely to be in car crashes. And, and things like that, because they're mm-hmm. just a little bit, they're more risk takers. And Interesting. So there's some funny, across big populations, you can start to yeah. probably identify some actual, um, yeah, neurological differences. But on yes. a singular person, it probably wouldn't, you wouldn't notice. Uh, if yeah. someone's acting crazy, you probably don't suspect that they have toxoplasmosis, but they also may have a pretty good chance they do. I'm looking it up now. Do you guys remember the, um, the guy that lived with the bears and then they ate him? <laughs> Yeah. Did he, he have had this? The bear one. He, had the, he, had the, he had the bear parasite. He had the bear version. Like thought that he There's was a, accepted into them, and then they ate him. <laughs> There's a number of those stories. Yeah, they always are. end up the people that think they're closest with the animals and all, like invariably end up getting eaten. Yeah. <laughs> so. Oh, it's crazy. There, there's a big field now of like people, you know, because we we can see that the neurobiology is being hijacked in many, many animals. Like I read a great book of about ants, empire, anti-empire. You know, it's just, I talked about it one other time, but, they're, you know, they're parasitized by fungus and by, um, um, like, protozoa, mm-hmm. as example. And um, But anyway, there's examples of, of, of them being hijacked, their neurochemistry and their um, motivation gets hijacked yeah you know it's the same and you talked about in crickets and it's the same in in many many instances of this okay and uh but it's fascinating like as example how could this fungus which is parasitizes these ants 
or or how could this little nematode um, that parasitizes the ant they take control of it and then there's a classic one I can't remember the the Latin name but it, when it's when it's time for it to move on to its new host which is a as example a ruminant a grazing yeah. animal you know it makes the ant climb up the blade of grass to the tip <laughs> of the blade of grass and then bite onto it and stay there at the top while all the rest of the ants go to the colony and go to sleep for the night yeah you know this is how holding on there until it gets eaten by a sheep or a cow. Um, another one I read is it makes the ant go, um, it needs to go um, up the tree, you know, towards, um, this is for the fungus, right? So the fungus wants to release its spores at the best time of night, which is like at dusk, okay? Mm-hmm. So sun is going down, and so it, somehow the fungus keeps track of time. <laughs> like, bugger if I know how it does that, but it does. <laughs> And uh, and then it's like watching the clock, so it's like 7 p.m. It's like okay, ant, time to climb up the tree. So away the ant goes up the tree, and gets up to a high point. And then um, if the wind is right and the temperature is right, meaning the right humidity and temperature, then the fungus will will have the ant, you know, shake its body and shake all the spores, and um, and then after that, the the ant will die. But if it is, if the conditions aren't just perfectly right, it tells the ant to go back down the tree <laughs> and get back to work for another day until tomorrow night or the next when the yeah. conditions are right, and then it sends it back up the bloody tree again. It's like, well, who's running the show here? It's like you're going to draw attention if you're gone for two days. Yeah, get back down, back down there. That's the same as the the liver fluke. I think is one of the examples of where it gr- climbs to makes the ant go to the top of the, mm-hmm. the blade of grass too. Because that's the same where it goes at night, and if it doesn't get consumed that night, it just goes back down and joins its friends for the yeah. next day, falls in line, and then it goes back up to the top of the blade of grass again the next night. Yeah, it's really spectacular. Yeah. So there's so much we don't know, and um, this whole idea of the of of hijacking your motivational system, you know, has to be done through neurochemistry, and so there's, you know, a great field of science to be to be opened up here mm-hmm. um, in terms of like, um, you know, chemistry compounds that, molecular compounds that, you know, could be just remarkable for, mm. for um, you know, for the, the new medications and... Yeah. And, um, where, where do you think we are in the, um, in the progression? Are we, right now, is it similar to like when we... We saw bacteria, you know, under a microscope, mm-hmm. kind of had a general idea of what it was doing, but didn't have any. Mm-hmm. Is it safe to say it's similar to like that, in your opinion, where you think there's this huge enlightening moment ahead of us at some point? I think part of the enlightening was figuring out how complex they are compared to sure. bacteria and viruses. Like, I think back when I was reading, why viruses or vaccines don't really work that well on parasites is because they're each generation of a certain parasite takes a different form um and so when we t- do you remember when we talked about bacteria and uh Rob, robert cox uh or cox pastoral postules yeah the four things that he if it postulates yeah the postulates it has to go basically the, i'm going to butcher the premise of it but you have to isolate what you think is doing the harm in one species inoculate in another species have the 
effects of that show up in that species or animal host again and also isolated again from there in the same form that it was inoculated in. So there's this series of things that you have to do to show that it is indeed this is the causative you know, um, reason for this symptom. Well, these things are, like Dad said, they pop behind the curtain and they come back out and they're wearing different clothes. Um, each generation is different, so they don't fall in line with that school of thinking. And so it took forever for, uh, you know, it wasn't until the 70s that I think we were even able to culture anything in a lab um, regarding, I think, malaria, the um, plasmodium. That was the first one when it finally figured out what its life cycle was because they'd keep capturing it in different forms or they'd, you know, they'd finally think they've got it harbored and collected over here. They grow it and it's a completely different organism, you know, two generations later. Um, and so you have to, you have to really be able to understand its full life cycle and you're doing all of this and each individual one has, its, it's, they're all specific to one exact, you know, set of circumstances. So that doesn't really apply. I feel mm-hmm. like um, that's jumped out to me when I've been reading about it is, there's an enlightenment probably to come, but I think that was had to have been the first big one. It's like, okay, this is nothing like the bacteria totally mode of thinking. It's uh, it's way more. Com- I don't know if it's way. It's different, but it seems to be more complex, probably because we know less about it. Yeah, I think we're very at the early, very early stages of understanding. You know, what we thought was simple, like the original germ theories. You know, mm-hmm. we thought it was simple, and mm-hmm. it's turning out to be way, way more. You know, it's like turtles all the way down again, you know. So, yeah. Like Another there's... part that was interesting with how, they, like, they, so some of them that are, you know, need sexual partners to reproduce, they have to find each other in the body. And so there's a whole, there's a lot of time and research spent trying to even figure out how do these things navigate? Um, because in in most species and in most things, they operate on a gradient basis. You know, mm-hmm. a shark in water knows where to go based off of the scent of blood gets stronger and stronger, ultimately leading it right to the host. A rotting carcass leads a coyote. You know, if it's mm-hmm. using its nose, it'll, it follows the gradient of smell to get there. But if you're looking at like a, I don't know, a liver fluke or something where it needs another partner to meet up with it in the liver, well, how do they both know to go to the liver to get there? And for, uh, scientists spent a lot of time wondering if they're emitting smells or scents or something to attract their partner. Um, and I, so that's an area that still isn't completely figured out. I don't think how they can actually navigate it, but it certainly isn't a gradient-based sort of um, mechanism of how they can get from one place to another. And they think, I think my understanding is the, le- the leading school of thought on it is that it's learned behavior that's passed along where mm. in some regards, if you're in a pig the biology is going to be the same. And so it's programmed into the offspring of these uh, parasites that, okay, the heart is here. The organ of interest is, you know, two lengths down from that. Or it, it always kind of the orientation's the same. And so it, that was a, a big breakthrough too, is figuring out that it wasn't gradient based sort of navigation through the body that a lot of things do use in, um, in nature because mm. it's open sort of, Everything in nature is open, but in the in the body, it's a closed system. And so even how they navigate is interesting and how mm-hmm. they end up meeting up in the organ of interest and then reproduce from there. That's interesting. It reminds me of not parasite, but, um, and correct me if this isn't true, but is it true that, um, is it salmon or trout? They end up going back to where they were spawned mm-hmm. um, with, no me- with no yeah. memory of ever, you know, it's kind of a mystery of how they, but to your point, it's a semi-closed 
circuit yeah. of river systems. But how do, do they do that? Do we know? No, I, that's what I'm. Is that a? I know, you know nothing that, more than they remember. No, it's incredible. They leave as a as a fry, as an egg. They develop yeah. way up in a river, and then they and then they you know they they go out to ocean, and then four years later, when they're reproductively viable, like mature, yeah, then they come back, and they can find their way all the way up, you years know, halfway later. around the world, and up the river, yeah. and then up the creek, right to where they were spawned. Okay, here. So salmon believe, uh, or sorry, scientists believe that <laughs> salmon believe they do it. <laughs> did a salmon write this? Uh, scientists believe that salmon navigate by using the Earth's magnetic field like a compass. Mm. They can get all the way back to where they're spawned. Yeah, it's but unreal. St- still, why? Why are they even inclined to do that? It seems like a like a shot in the dark mm. because they know it was a good place to spawn. Is what this article says. It's like, yeah, that like we don't know much about we it. We don't yet. have anything <laughs> work for me. Yeah, so it'll work for my offspring. Yeah, it's really well. It's the same as like a goose. How does a you know the geese? And how do they know to come back to the same damn exact pond? You know, it's like, yeah, it's unreal. They're ducks. You know, like yeah. Speaking of them, they carry parasites back and forth with them too. Yeah. That's a good practical example of a parasite. Is mm-hmm. if anyone's duck hunting out there, and you, and you're a good, you know, a good uh, a good hunter and a good sport, it means you're actually cleaning the birds you hunt, mm-hmm. and that means you pluck them once in a while, and on their chests running around will be lice. lice yeah, it's disgusting. Yeah, you it's often see them. Really makes you not want to eat that meat. Yeah, right. It's, <laughs> it's not that among so, other things. Yeah, it's not so appetizing, but. Yeah, anyway, so the parasites have been with us, been with um, all advanced life form for a long time. Um, you know, they predate humans, obviously. They may be some of the, the, the fittest of organisms, meaning fit, meaning ad- adaptable, you know, because mm-hmm. they've been around for maybe three billion years, you know, like the very f- earliest forms of life were parasites, and they've been parasitizing every advanced form of life since so in some context you have to wonder who's running the show you know yeah. uh, we when we talk about higher life forms higher bigger you know life platforms body platforms and and what we might tour consciousness and and uh, sentience but mm-hmm. you know there's an argument that is being made that parasites are actually running the world and we're serving them you know <laughs> As example, we always thought, you know, where do our parasites that humans get come from? And it was always thought, you know, we got our parasites, uh, as example, tapeworms We is a good example. We got them from domesticated animals. And we talked about that with um, viruses and bacteria, that we, we did get a lot of our viruses and um, diseases from, you know, 10, 11,000 years ago when we domesticated our cattle and sheep and goats and camels. And mm-hmm. and um, so we thought the same was true for parasites. But with um, genomic testing and looking at, you know, the, the g- genetic profile of the organisms now, it's been just absolutely fascinating. We found that we they didn't. You know, we didn't get our parasites from our domestic animals, and in fact, there's a there's a strong hypothesis that we gave it to them. <laughs> and um, so the, the this really cool research has been done where they where they were able to look at tapeworms 
and the theory was, look, if, if we find these um, tapeworms that are specific to people and, um, and then we, we look back and, and we find who, what, what animals are closest to, to having those same tapeworms, then we could say something about, well, where we got them from. Well, it turns out, and we've talked about this before, like fire and meat made us human, right? Mm -hmm. Richard Rangham's theory that uh, eating meat, you know, allowed us to shrink our guts and grow our brains. Well, this worm work with tapeworms was able to show that in that 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 is the case. We were able to the the tapeworms that we most closely share are with um, lions and hyenas and African dogs and um, jackals and leopards and so these big you know carnivores from Africa what's the what's is that strictly from people way back in the day following their kills and yeah. eating off of their kills or what yeah yeah now, some of that there? so again remember there's you know we have or is it hosts. that they both eat meat is that what yeah, you're yeah an intermediate intermediate mm. hosts are the uh, the game animals the the um, as example mm. gazelles mm -hmm. springbok zebras um, and uh, you know other impalas <laughs> so what 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 else yeah yeah <laughs> keep going I'm, I'm curious how many African we got four so far <laughs> it's, it's like Bubba Gump Shrimp Gumbo anyway that what it means is we've all been We've been hunting the same animals, and they trace it back to 1.7 million years ago. That um, that when we first when we first got our specific tapeworms, so they've been with our human ancestors for 1.7 million years. Jeez, and uh, we closely share them with the lions and leopards and the and the wild dogs, which means that um, we're all been hunting the same animals. You know, and so some of it would be we've been we've been scavenging on the kills they made, so yeah. we're cross infecting like that. But it also means humans were extremely adaptable hunters because it means we've been hunting animals, you know, in the bush, and on the plains, and in the trees, and you know, and under and burrowing in the ground, whatever. So we've been like, we've yeah. been. It's been. Well, I think it's tremendously fascinating you know that it goes back that far and then the theory is once we got in close proximity with our cattle and sheep and domesticated them and dogs we infected them um, <laughs> because our the genetics of our tapeworms as example are more ancient than than theirs wow. so yeah so would they have had anything prior to for I, sure I, they I probably had ticks and lice and yeah they might have had other they might have had other, you know, intestinal parasites too, but wow, that's the other the, way around. But not than the tapeworms. Yeah, yeah, that we gave it to them. Yeah. So, hmm. anyway, we 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 we're living with them, and they're ubiquitous, meaning they're everywhere, and um, we often, <clears throat> we and our food animals are often plagued by, you know, more than one, dozens at a time, and so. You know, it's a perennial, or it's the red queen. You know, you've just got to keep running. You've got to keep fighting them, yep. your immune system, and um, to stay in the same place. Otherwise, they, you know, they devour you. 
Yeah. And um, and it's a huge economic cost in farming. You know, we try to food feed animals, uh, grow animals to feed people. You know, mm. we're not growing the animals to feed the bloody worms or to feed the ticks. Yeah. And mm. so we want to get rid of them. And so thank God for, you know, our medicinal chemistry. And we've been able to create, you know, these tremendous compounds similar to antibiotics and mm-hmm. to antiviral vaccine technology. You know, it's been tremendous breakthroughs that allow us to um, treat and kill these parasites so that our, our cattle can produce, you know, whatever, 20% more milk. They mm-hmm. can grow more meat um, and for people to eat. Otherwise, we're losing it all. Yeah. And uh, so a lot of people would say, well, we don't like, you know, we want all natural. You know, we don't want you to be using technology in farming. <clears throat> well, that really is an ethical issue. You know, these animals are, get very sick if they're loaded with parasites. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, we're, and again, the goal is to produce food and milk mm-hmm. and fiber for people, not to feed these little buggers. Plus, if they're saying that, I mean, people have benefited a ton from well, that sort of technology. Like, I mean, what's the number? I know you've told us in the past, maybe in other episodes, but malaria is the number one. Mosquitoes have killed more people than anything in the history yeah. of human beings. Yeah. Um, what is it, 50% of people across yeah. time have died from mosquitoes and, and malaria? Yeah, 50% of all people who have ever lived died from mosquito-borne diseases. So yeah. that's about... Uh, that means there's been about 108 billion people that have lived ever, modern humans. So that means they've about a 50, you know, 55 billion have died from mosquito disease, and you know, number one of them would be will be malaria, which still kills, you know, I don't know, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people a year. Yeah. Now that is a really interesting um, parasite, Plasmodium. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I just finished reading a great book. Passage to the Sea, highly recommend it to everyone by David McCullough. That is the building of the Panama Canal. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Tremendous. The French the French started to build it. Um this guy Ferdinand Lesseps. Just a tremendous story. He was like an Elon Musk, you know. Um except Elon seems to be able to get a few more things done than this guy but uh, this guy had the passion and the vision like elon yeah, does the canal did take some time though yeah yeah he's like i want to i want to dig a ditch you know from the atlantic to the pacific and i want to do it through the most malaria infested swamp infested disease infested isthmus they call it an isthmus isthmus no an isthmus like it's and so he chose Panama, and they they and threw steam shovels, and they got this. It's a tremendous story, the French. Um, and so after a few that. years, they but ultimately they failed, you know. And the reason they failed, well, it's a great drama. It's in the 1880s, 1890, uh, they tried to do this. And the reason they failed was, was from general. <laughs> oh, no. What's that? Oh, I guessed wrong. I said because they're French. Because they're French, they were going backwards instead of digging forwards. They're like retreat, retreat. Uh, yeah, yeah. Even back then, they were fond of it. No, sorry. The they reason were they failed. Plagued too. everyone working on it. Yeah, 
Just, the parasites well, didn't from want malaria, to come malaria yeah. and yellow fever, both from mosquitoes. It killed like it's just unbelievable. There would be groups of them come on the boat because they were paying big money and people were desperate for work, so they were coming from all over the world, you know, from Europe to work there, and um, from uh, America too, and the West Indies, and there were groups of them would show up, like hundred people on a boat, workers, men, and they'd show up, and within like three weeks. There was like, you know, 92 of them were dead. There's eight left. It's like Jeez. unbelievable. Whoa. Yeah, groups of 20, 19 of them dead, like within a month. No, and the one that lived probably isn't in great shape. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Not fit to dig a canal. You got a lot of work to do. Yeah, it was so, they were so sick and they had no idea what was doing it. You know, they wouldn't, Whoa. Um, they didn't want to believe. They believed that um, malaria... They couldn't figure it out, and they didn't. They were too resistant to the idea that a mosquito could be carrying the disease. They thought it was more like just because of unsanitary, which yeah. it was. They had open sewers, and it's you know shit yeah. and stink everywhere, so and um, dysentery and stuff was probably pretty oh, bad with terrible, them too. Terrible, yeah. terrible. So they believed it was that. They didn't want to believe it was mosquitoes. Mosquitoes there were so terrible um, in the jungle and tropics. Oh, I and can imagine. Yeah. Ugh. Anyway, it, it's a remarkable story. So the, the it went bust with the French, and then came, along came uh, Teddy Roosevelt, the Rough Rider, mm. you know. Yeah. And Teddy's just such an you know unbelievable. He was the most proud of 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 anything. He was the most proud of his achievement um, of you know building the Panama Canal. So he <laughs> took it over in like 1904. <laughs> And, um, he was like a Musk back then, wasn't he? <laughs> he was what? <laughs> like an Elon yeah. back then. Yeah, he was. Everybody's. <laughs> he was. And he, so Teddy Roosevelt, this was his first big act as president, you know? I don't know that he was, yeah, I wouldn't have known that it was him that even did it. Yeah, he didn't, it lasted, like it didn't get completed until, you know, after he was out of office. Okay. But he's the man who got it going. Gave it the and push. he's the man who, who, who gave his full endorsement to eradicating mosquitoes, and he gave it to this Dr. Gorka, G-O-R-K-A, who who had full the full support of Roosevelt himself to exterminate mosquitoes down there. Yep. So they knew at that point, likely that it was coming from the mosquitoes. They knew definitively. Oh, okay. But no one, but you know, it's like this is a funny thing. You know, what you know and what you'll act on are different. Yeah. You know, this thing called conservative bias. Or conservation bias, or or um, cognitive dissonance, yeah. You know, where you should know something's true and there's data to prove it and everything, but you you hang on to your old beliefs. Like I just read another great book of them being stuck on the ice for like three years, yeah. and they're all dying of scurvy. Their teeth were falling out, and they and so they couldn't hardly even eat their eat their boots. You know, they were that hungry, but they're scurvy even though they knew that they needed um vitamin c from you know uh green or fresh fruits and whatever mm -hmm. these old sailors they thought it was wimpy to eat that stuff so they just <laughs> they right. just refused it it's like yeah. oranges are pretty wimpy though yeah right <laughs> imagine getting seen eating an orange on the ice it's it so crazy. It's called Island of the Blue Foxes. It's an unbelievable story being stuck on the ice, and they were and they were infested with lice, Yuck. like 
in the, and they didn't wash or bathe in like three years. Isn't that crazy? You think if you go to the Arctic, at least you'd be spared of parasites? Yeah. Well, they took them with but, them. No, they're there too. Yeah. Mosquitoes? Or they can... No mosquitoes. <laughs> Lice. Teddy would have loved it there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so back to the Panama Canal. So he eradicated mosquitoes. He got rid of the vector because the mosquitoes carrying plasmodium, which is the infectious How agent. How did he eradicate them in 1904? Yeah, right. Napalm. Yep. They oiled... They poured kerosene or oil in, okay. into all the yeah. water supplies, you know, so it would float on top and kill the larvae. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. And then the other thing was drained every swamp, just drain them. Yeah. And then um, and then taught the people they had a health program, you know, no open water. Everything had a lid on it. Sure. And then um, obviously put nets on all your windows and um, sleep under nets, like, mosquito nets yeah and they and then you only have to wait a month or so because you if once you snuff out their breeding cycle um they only live for a month you know so then if you if you if you stop their if you interrupt their reproductive cycle Mm -hmm. like no nowhere to lay their eggs and no water no intermediate you know no Mm -hmm. blood for them it's only the females too Bloody typical. <laughs> yeah, good the one. males, the males don't bother with binding yet. It's only females that that need the feed of blood. You know, it's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like it's like poetry. <laughs> well, it's like a country and western song. It's like, of course, she needed the blood, every last drop. You know, and she took my freaking pickup. <laughs> And she took my shotgun. (laughs) She was the parasite. And the dog's gone. I suspect she's got that too. Like, that's a great country and western song. That is. You should write that. I know. I know I bloody should. Anyway, Teddy did it. And then chemicals, DDT, eradicated, you know, mosquitoes. Mm. And it was miraculous. Almost zero deaths from malaria and yellow fever after that. And they built... They went on to build the Panama Canal. They dug that bitch. Who was building it? Huh? <laughs> the French were. They were? And they gave up because they went no, broke. You mean yeah, who, Teddy was? Yeah. Who, like, was it all Please tell me he's still at the French at work. And, yeah, hired workers. Oh, okay. Yeah. What did you say? They said, please tell me he's still at the French doing it. He was just con- <laughs> commanding them. <laughs> No, no, it was the Americans took over. And then another fascinating thing, because we're, we're talking about fascinating things, but that's one of the greatest achievements in history. Like, you know, it opened up trade to the world, and it certainly opened up America to be the, yeah. the naval, um, um, maritime naval um, dominant player of the world. You know, it used to be Britannia, rule Britannia. Mm-hmm. But um, after the Panama Canal, that, that cemented America's role of being able to um sail and and have a have a force presence everywhere in the world right so it's like that's why teddy was the most proud of that that in the national parks you know he's the grandfather of yellowstone and all the national park he is he is run really uh incredible guy yeah (laughs) so where the hell was i i was talking about the parasites malaria Malaria, yeah, yeah. So it killed half the people in the world, and um, and we're hopeful to get um, to 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 knock this, you know, malaria out. We had quinine, 
And that's the, yeah. you know, we talked about that gin and tonics. They, in, in India, the British would take the quinine every night, every, you know, to protect against malaria. And um, that come from a plant that was distilled. They, I, but malaria, the mis- malaria has become resistant to quinine mostly. Mm. But now we have a chance using CRISPR. So we can genetically engineer these um, mosquitoes to become non-reproductive. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that could be like they're doing field trials in Brazil now that are, look really interesting, like Whoa. positive. It would, the mosquito would be non-reproductive? Yeah. So there'd be no more so mosquitoes? That's right. What impact will that have? Yeah, would it kill? Well, all? you only need to kill it's the Anopheles. It's only the one, well, there's one or three or six mosquitoes that carry malaria out of two and a half thousand species. Oh, really? Species. There's, oh. That's news to me. I thought yeah. there was just a mosquito. Yeah, there's a famous saying like in the span, in the Cuban Civil War or one of these, or in Colombia. I get stuff mixed up, but it doesn't matter. He, he credited his three generals. It's like General Santiago for his success, right, in the war. This is in the tropical nations. And then he, and then he, and then he credited General Anopheles and General... <laughs> Um, what's the one for yellow fever? Damn, it's not as interesting when I can't remember. <laughs> Adelis or something like that. But anyway, there's three generals. One was a bloke, and the other two were mosquitoes. <laughs> oh. One carried malaria, that's Anopheles. Yeah. And the other, you could look it up, he carries yellow fever. So that's why he won the, the Civil War. So, so if yeah, so if we have to- CRISPR, we could knock out those two that carry malaria yeah. and yellow fever, and we would serve humanity like the greatest of gifts. Yeah. I mean, it would be unbelievable. That's incredible. Yeah, yeah 80s, 80s there. <laughs> there you go, that's yellow fever. So what happens if you get malaria today? Like, is there medication and stuff that works pretty well on it? And Because so many people still die from it, so it clearly isn't, it's still an issue, obviously, today. Yeah, you can you can there are some med- medications for malaria now because we know it's life cycle through and through pretty well. Like yeah. it's pretty detailed and intricate. But that was the first <coughs> one that we really figured out. But again, it's such a uh, you know it's such a complex chain reaction of how they do it. I think is maybe why it's so hard to like actually have a medication that just completely heals it or solves it or prevents it right away. I don't know. Yeah. Or maybe it's that it's hard to General malaria is a um, curable yeah. disease if diagnosed and treated promptly and correctly. What well, do they it's use? In the, it's in the, um, I'm sure it's a der- derivative of quinine. Okay. Um, which was the original compound. It comes from a tree in Peru, I believe. The can, I can't, I read things so I can't pronounce them. Kenocha tree or something. Sure. But there was... Treatment... Yeah. But it's in the um okay. it's been eradicated. It used to be you know in all the way up here into the northern country and you know but now it's really confined to the tropics. Yeah. And um and we have a chance to stamp it out though. So some have like some parasites have been eradicated, right? Like mm-hmm. the the um Texas fever, is that yeah eradicated? Is that the tick? Believe That's so. That's the tick from yeah. the, the cattle that the you actually dipping? had experience with that. You've seen those dip tanks, right? Or the yeah. dip baths that they'd walk them through? Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, or you do it at home. Yeah, we do it at home. I remember you mentioned that on another yeah. episode. Yeah. yeah, you got to make them swim through the bath um, with a chemical to kill them, kill the ticks and the lice. Yeah. Both. But that one's gone mm-hmm. today for them. I mean, at least yeah. regionally. Yep, I believe it's eradicated. Okay. Big success story. Hmm. How about like the the guinea worm? I know we haven't oh. talked about that one yet, but we know that one through and through. It's and close I know to being eradicated. It, okay, it is. It seems like it should when what I was reading that? about... Have you? Do you know that one? Not, it's, not by name. It's the grossest visual you can possibly have for a mm-hmm. parasite to me. It just seems awful. It's a... Uh, it's one that's it's a it's associated with water, so I think it's snails and again in the water or something. Mm-hmm. But uh, it needs to get it ends up that the human is the host, and it comes in, it numbs the foot and breaks down some of the skin in the foot, and then it can enter and enter your blood, and then go through maturation processes and uh, and stuff in the body. And it's a it's a long worm, yeah. And it needs to could be up like up, three a meter long, three yeah. feet long. And it needs to get back to the water to complete the next phase of um, reproduction, and so it has to puncture its way out of your foot again. And it wants to, so that's Comes how they, like a piece of string. Yeah, oh but that's gosh. how they know. Like they're so clever because they assume it creates a burning sensation on your foot, and so they know that human. Or at least we think this is why it knows how to do this. Is that they would go to cool it down, and typically that would be in, in water. And then it ultimately wants to be in the water. So it's uh, kind of leading the human to the water by that sensation. So again, it's dictating what the human's action is. But that one, I think you've told me about it, but we're also looking it up where to get it out, it pokes its head out through its hole. And then if you grab it and pull it, it'll break off, you know, and and then it'll die, but it'll die inside of you. And that'll create the immune response that ends up, it can kill you. So you don't want to... You don't want to kill the guinea worm inside of you, and Jeez. so if you can grab a hold of it, you put it on a on a stick basically, mm-hmm. and you do a little you, your bed wrist for wrap a week or around. two, right? Yeah, you wrap it around the stick, and you wind coil it up it across a week. You just do it inch by inch, like move the lever a little bit more so it does a quarter of a wind, and each time, and so you're sitting there in a bed for the week, watching this thing slowly wind out of your foot. Oh my gosh, yeah, it's horrendous. But Clean sanitary water preparation takes care of a lot mm-hmm. of the risk there and not meddling in those waters. So it, it's still, yeah, knowing that that's where it comes from, it seems like that would be one that actually could Whoa. be eradicated. Yeah, they're very, I think that within yes. the next few years, they're Isn't that gross, very Jack? close to. Look at, see if you can find one with coils on it too. Cause that, have you seen that yet? No. Um, Anywhere I'm coiled? Where it's just like coiling it there out. There it is, but on the back. Oh, yeah. The bottom left there. The one with the orange oh, background. Yeah. yeah, it's just winding it on a little stick. Mm-hmm. Sorry, you guys can't see this. Yeah. No, it's on people a match. can look it up. It's horrendous. Jimmy yeah. Carter, the ex president, played a big role in trying to educate and get and, and eradicate guinea worm. Really? Yeah. He's done a tremendous job on that. Oh. Um, so that one is maybe so close. about gone. Yeah. Yeah. It's gross, though. No kidding. Um, They're all kind of gross. One of the greatest, uh, you know, interventions for for in chemistry was ivermectin. Mm. People will have heard of that, but um, you know that's been a broad a broad spectrum spectrum antiparasitical. Isn't that horse medicine? Yeah, <laughs> that's Joe Rogan. <laughs> <laughs> but um, ivermectin was invented in 1975, I think, and um, it's a miracle drug. So thank God for chemistry and drugs, you know. 
Yeah. Like it's countless millions and millions of lives that it's not only saved, but, um, but helped. Yeah. You know, people are suffering with all kinds of parasites and ivermectin and derivatives of it. Um, it was invented and discovered in Japan from the soil. You know, as we talked before with uh, bacteria um, and antibiotics, we get, you know, the discovery is from nature and then we synthesize the active compounds. Well, mm-hmm. that's, that was the case with ivermectin as well. Came a uh, researcher in Japan from soil, found that it had, uh, you know, uh, effects against parasites. And, and then that spawned, you know, just unbelievable um, use of that across humans and animals. You know, we mm-hmm. use it on every animal and powerfully effective. Mm-hmm. And um, doesn't seem to have any resistance developed to it as well, which is just crazily good. <laughs> yeah. So, it's what did it get? I mean, it won the Nobel Prize then the mm-hmm. um, recently, right? Just a couple of years ago. It's possible. The, the inventor. Yeah, and it also had effect against COVID, a virus. Yeah. You know? um, and so you know, a miraculous compound. Then we have others, the thiobenzol, benzylate types that are effective for different worms. You know, Ascaris mm-hmm. is a type of worm that plagues, you know, pigs and and um, chickens. And we have um, parasites that are protozoan um, in chickens, like coccidiosis, um, as example, and um, coccidia that we have to use you know, ionophores to kill. Yeah. Um, again, chemical compounds that scientists have been able to develop that are safe and effective. And um, unfortunately, you know, it's part of this our theme of what we talk about. You know, people are want to say, well, we only want all natural. We don't want any intervention of using anything synthetic or anything chemistry or medicinal yeah. <laughs> in our animals and our food supply. It's like, yeah. But okay, these freaking animals are suffering like hell if we don't. Yeah. Um, as example, you know, growing up on the farm, I don't know if I told you. Yeah, you guys know it. We we saw this in Belle Plaine with our sheep. The you know, in the maggots. spring of the year. Exactly. So this yeah. this is the this is the terrible nature of what happens with parasites. But with our sheep, you know, and we took really good care of them. But in the spring of the year, if they got worms. As example, they intestinal worms. Then the animal, let's say it's a sheep or a cow or a pig or a chicken, they all get um, they get really runny diarrhea, mm-hmm. and that's part of our immune system trying to wash them out. So we 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 perfuse our digestive tract with water, like like crazy, and then try and have really liquid diarrhea to flush those worms out. Um, we're trying to do it as uh-huh. our immune system. But with that happens, you know, it splatters all over the wool of the sheep and their tail, if they still have a tail. So people will say, well, it's cruel to cut tails off sheep, lambs. Well, the reason we do it is because, well, I'm going to get to it, is because when the, if they get, the sheep get infected by worms, or it could even just be really lush grass, but let's say worms, they shit like a goose, yep. they shit all over their tail. Now they got shit on their tail, which attracts flies. It's wet and moist and full of nutrient. So now you have flies. Well, what do flies want to do on a shitty tail? They lay their eggs. Right. Well, the eggs turn into maggots, 
you know, I guess everyone listening seen maggots before. Well, then the maggots, they're hungry little buggers. So what do they do? They start digging into the sheep, into his, into the rear, the rectum of the sheep. And they eat. They start eating the back end of the sheep out while it's alive. You know, uh, thousands of maggots. I remember. Oh. We didn't see it a lot, but it happened a couple of times, and it's the it's pretty rough. The visual. Well, yeah. I mean, do you remember what oh, we yeah. tried to do? Like help Dad hold them down and pick them out with like a take a you take a tweezers, right? Yeah, and yeah. there's just these crevices of holes, just like a like an underground ant colony with tunnels going everywhere. They're doing that mm. in the flesh, and you're trying to pull them, them out, out of these yeah. little holes. And yeah, they're if eating away at the hind quarters of the animal of this lamb. With when you just look at it, it probably looks okay, you know. <laughs> And then you yeah. get up close, and it's just completely it's taken terrible. over by maggots in the back. Yeah, back well, legs. it's a it's a huge problem in nature. So you can imagine they're parasitized by the worms, and then by the flies. So they got you know two really horrendous things going on. And um, these poor sheep, or you know, it could be calves or chickens. You know, they they're it's so when I know a lot about the sheep, so you can what you can pick them out of a paddock because the lamb will go around in a circle and lay down, mm. stand up and then go in a circle and lay down. And, and he's trying to bite his bum the whole time, trying to bite, but he can't reach it. So he turns around in circles and then lays down. And that's all he'll do. It's like <laughs> driving him, you know, crazy. Yeah, and um, so they lose weight and then ultimately they die. And um, it's so it's a... It's a, it's a, so like it can a, still happen if you do dock the tail. But not as often, right? Right. So docking the tail, cutting the, t- cutting the tail off, or uh-huh. you know, um, reduces that incidence, you know, drastically. Hmm. And um, and then we and then we spray, you know, or dip the the sheep and and cattle also for you know we have, um, you know, you'll see in a lot of the dairy farms and beef feedlots where they'll put out they have um. Uh, dust, uh, they call them dusting stations, where they put a an insecticide in a um, in a powder, and the cattle will be able to rub on it and uh, coat and get some insecticide on their on their coat on their back, and to stop these flies from some of these flies, you know, they 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 lay their bite into the the skin of the cattle and and uh, lay the eggs in there, you know. Yeah, like the the stories of you know I've read up in in Alaska and Canada of caribou hunting and the caribou herds being pushed along. They still have caribou herds of you know hundred thousand animals. Yeah, wow. um, being chased along by these biting flies, you know, and they parasitizing them by laying their eggs in the back of the caribou, and then they and then after a while period of time they out pops the. They chew their way up through the surface and all across the back. Of, you can probably find pictures of it. They're it all emerging, fly? these butt flies. Yeah. yeah. They're big. Oh, they're, they're emerging. Like, so gross. Like aliens coming out of the back of the, of the um, <laughs> yeah. caribou. So it's another species too, right? Like I've, uh-huh. I think I've seen cats get them in their face or something. Yeah, even people. Fly. Yeah. Like there's, there's, you don't even want to go there and look at no. people with them, but... Coming yeah, out the back is. of their necks and heads. That little thing coming out. Yeah. Ugh. So this is all the things. This is why farmers, you know, that's where we we have to work to control these um, p- 
parasites because, yeah. Well, we have a job to do. Our job is to feed the feed people, not feed these organisms. And get um, quickly out of my depth on this, but I, I, you might know more about it. Some places don't they release wasps or parasitic wasps to help with fly control or something like that? Yeah, it can also be a treatment, right? Yeah, there's oh Jack, yeah, squirrels yes. with them and. These bot flies are horrendous. For those listening, Jack's Googling pictures of squirrels with bot flies coming out of their backs. Yeah. But you can look on on cattle and Ugh. caribou and um, So yeah, no, there's, there's But do you know what I, do you know anything about that? The I I don't. I just floated it because I don't I've heard of witch? it, but I don't know with releasing the parasitic wasps. Yeah, for, for sure. There's these biocontrols, you know, where we say well, we got an aphid problem, so well, we're going to introduce a um, a fungus, or we'll introduce another predator to parasitize them, and um, and so that ca- I mean, it can go wrong though too. Yeah, you know, it can be a lot of off-target. <laughs> it's like they get bored with the aphids, so now they start infecting the monarch butterflies instead. You know, it's like now they're way more pretty. <laughs> hey, yeah. speaking of pretty, in monarch butterflies. You know, there is a theory on the para- parasites that for sexual selection, you know, is that, um, you know, the peacock is a classic one, right? Yeah. So why he grows this huge tail and puts on such a show, you know, mm. this beautiful, doesn't seem to serve any practical purpose, but um, it is an illustration of fitness and they, and they think that that's directly related to parasites. Mm. So that the hen will say, you know, he's parasite free. Because one of the things when you parasitized, you know, it, it, you're, you're, the host or the, the victim rather is affected by lethargy. Yeah. Because it's draining mm. a lot of your blood and your nutrients and w- general ill thrift. And uh-huh. um, so the peacock display is the absolute, you know, opposite of that. It says he's parasite free. Let's mate with him. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's interesting. Yeah, baby. <laughs> But that ties into what we've we're talking about prior to the podcast, actually, mm-hmm. and maybe it's worth mentioning um, why even normal sexual reproduction, as we know it, where there's um, you know male and female come together to produce offspring, why has that won out across evolution when asexual or um, that sort of reproduction seems to be more efficient? Um, and well, it is in some regards because it's less dependent on anything else. It's just one organism doing it, you know. But parasites seem to be one of the best explanations for why that's, uh, you know, uh, why sexual reproduction with two partners has, you know, stood the test of time or actually prevailed. It's because it produces, you know, your scrambling DNA. You have two mm-hmm. different pools that come in to make variation. one and create these variations and maybe uh, slight deviations in the genetic pool allow for certain members of the population to slip between parasitic uh, infestation or effects of it. And so, and then that automatically gets passed along to the next and then evolution takes the story from there. So it actually ties together pretty well with that. Mm -hmm. But that's an interesting part too of uh, Mm -hmm. how parasites have actually maybe played a role in, um, well, in how animals and species reproduce, why it takes two for a lot of species to do it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because that's keeping ahead of the, the Red Queen, it's right? It's keeping right. It's keeping ahead of... It's in this arms race, you know. Yeah. We're in per, per, perpetual war. So, yeah, it's really remarkable. And 
and um, the effects of these things are still, you know, we're still trying to understand them all completely. Like there's so much we don't, we didn't know. And, and then it's like, okay, long we find out something more and it's like, oh, that explains that. It's like a, a thing, how much of the world is, you know, afflicted by parasites. It's, it's Africa and Asia, you know, they're, they're infested like constantly. Um, one, because they're poor, mm-hmm. so they don't have access to medication, you know. And number two is their environments are very hot and humid and prone to like the vector insects, you know. So they, they have it. They have things that are very difficult for them yeah. and their infrastructure. They're like, how are you going to get to a hospital or a clinic or diagnosed accurately? You know, it's really hard. These people, um, and we even have it closer to home here. It used to be that Southerners, you know, not only do they have that drawl, it takes them <laughs> like half an hour to ask for a, you know, for a, for a, for a, whatever, a burger and fries. <laughs> <laughs> But it turns out, you know, their stereotype was they're lazy and dopey and and um and 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 um and real slow, you know. Well, it turns out they were infested. The reason was they were bloody endemically infested with um, hookworms. Hmm. You know, this was a, and they found out that the the, the southern population of the U.S. had a had an endemic situation of you know constant infection from little kids to adults with hookworms and then you took care of the hookworms and it explained like 20 points of their IQ <laughs> does that make up all the difference or no well not entirely <laughs> <laughs> might lo- want to look for a few more worms this also goes for Australians <laughs> yeah no but it's Good the thing. craziest phenomenon like yeah. this was in the 1900s you know and yeah. um, but anyway, then you intervened intervened with, you know, um, public health, um, uh, with anthelminics. That's mm-hmm. the that's the uh, compound to kill these worms, and then just boom, unbelievable! What a transformation! So, you know, these it's 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 a hell of a phenomenon. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, that's interesting. It goes kind of. Kind of back to your, I think your question was really good at the start, Jack, of the moment of enlightenment. Is it, has it happened or not with Parasite and what we know about them? Well, yeah. Probably not, right? Like right. some, the first waves, the first peak behind the curtain is understood, but it creates 20 more questions that come from it. And I don't know, it seems like. I think the future is, you know, we know a lot about them now and sort of the, we know the shape, how do you say, the dimensions of it, Tommy and Jack? Like, uh, but there's so much nuance left, and there I think there's an emerging field to say what can we look at about parasites because, um, in the c- chemical compounds that they excrete, like they're incredibly elaborate. Yeah, like they can hide from every animals, every organism. See, even bacteria are parasitized. Like, yeah, everything yeah. is parasitized. So these buggers have figured everything out. So what can we learn from them? How they um, how they crosstalk everything from microbes to our brains, you know? And um, th- there's a there's a a billion compounds of chemical compounds that they're playing with that we don't know anything about <laughs> yet. That if we could get our hands on them, could really help you know human health. 
Yep. Um, our emotional health, because they really have a role to play with like depression and anxiety mm-hmm. and emotional health, but also physical health, like our immune system. Um, yeah, that's the, probably the most interesting oh. part is how they're just, I mean, they're unreal with how they can manipulate and evade and yeah. uh, dictate Correct. the immune system. We don't yeah. know how they're doing that, but we no. know they do it. So when we were talking about antibiotic resistance, you know, Jack, in our, one of our last podcasts, and what's the future with, you know, there definitely are compounds that the parasites that are playing with um, have been playing with for 3 billion years. You yeah. know, we can learn learn a lot from them and apply them to our own health and the health of our animals. You yeah. know, you, you identify, then you synthesize that, the pure compounds, and then you and then you administer, you know, yeah. and they're all natural in essence, you know. They're coming from nature, and then we harness them. I think it's like incredible area. For, if anyone budding scientist is out there, I would suggest you know really take a look at uh, being a parasitologist. <laughs> yeah, you know this interaction of like holistic. Um, it might just be the next wave. Yeah, the next frontier. I think it's absolutely fascinating, and they'll be around long after us, the buggers, you know. Yeah. Like they'll they've survived everything, ice ages. They've survived, you know. The dinosaurs came and went, and yeah, and, incredible. Yeah. So, and we need them. We need to. We need to figure out how to control them for, for feeding the world and for, making people's lives less suffering. You know. So. Mm-hmm. So. So stay away from cats. Yes, that is a very good. That is not a bad place to end this show. So, anything left for you to say, Jack, with your get that with your tongue missing out. tongue? <laughs> Give Jack another sandwich. He's bloody lou- the louse took half of his last one. All right, thanks, boys. Yeah, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Cheers. <laughs>